in 1956, a cognitive psychologist by the name of George Miller, a professor at Princeton University, published an article in Psychology Review titled, The Magical Number Seven, Plus or Minus Two. In his article, Miller argued that through hours of controlled lab tests, that the human mind was able to store in its short-term memory at most seven packets of information, what is often referred to as Miller's Law of Memory. His study was used to help develop what we use still today when it comes to cognitive memory or our short-term memory. Many of the things that we use every day in our life is based on his studies that he did in the 1950s. From the telephone numbers that we use and employ to the street numbers and zip codes, everything is built upon his study that the human mind was unable to remember number sequences greater than seven. And many of you today can, can affirm the challenges to trying to remember things. Uh, perhaps you write notes to yourself or put them in your phone or, or doodle little things so that you don't forget. Young and old, people are challenged with the loss of memory. A human memory has always been something to overcome. It's not something that only comes when you become older. Oh, young children even struggle to remember. Friends, it's a result of the fall that our minds simply do not function to the fullest that they should. But constant reminders are a helpful tool, aren't they? Uh, to help us remember uh, where our memory fails. If you consider the things that you know, it took time, it took effort and energy to remember the things that you know. Even the simple thing as a phone number takes time to remember. And it's this tool of reminder and remembrance and repetition that the Apostle Peter will employ today to help ensure that his congregations, that those congregations that he helped to start and shepherd would remember what he had taught them. Much of the Bible, you'll see, devotes energy and effort to remembrance. Even in our own sermons, you hear regularly, remember this, or let me remind you of this, so on and so forth. Much of what we do every Lord's Day is the activity of not learning something new, but reminding of ourselves of things we already know. You will be reminded that Peter is writing to a congregation scattered across Asia Minor. Uh, he's writing, he's taken up the task to write a letter to a group of congregations that are scattered, and he took up that task first in a letter we call First Peter. Now, when we say first and second Peter, that doesn't mean that Peter only wrote two letters, but these are the two letters that we contain within the canon of Scripture. That is, these are the ones that are inspired by the Spirit of God, whom the church testifies are true. His first letter, there he instructed and taught the congregation that they were to endure trial and difficulty. That the suffering that they faced was not strange or abnormal, but it was a gift given by a gracious God. He had since turned here, now in a second letter, to address these congregations again, this time framing before he leaves. Not leaves town, but leaves the world. This is, if you will, a farewell address, a, a final goodbye to these congregations. He writes to remind them of the truth that they've received and to encourage them to persevere in godly living. 
as we've seen over the last two weeks as we've walked through this letter. We've seen that Peter has reminded them of the certainty of their faith. Uh, the faith that they have been given from God, that they've obtained a faith that is able to save. Last week we considered that they were reminded of the certainty of election. That is, you can be certain of your salvation through the fruit that is born in your life through the gospel. Godly living assures God's people that they are saved. And now today we're going to turn to consider the certainty of truth. The certainty of truth. How can we know the truth is truly true? And how do we live in light of it? Well, friends, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Or excuse me, verse 12 uh, through verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What is the point of this passage? What is Peter after? Well, here we see in this these short words that Peter reveals the purpose of his letter, doesn't he? He reveals why he's written to them. Uh, he has written to remind his readers of these things, the things we looked at last week, to stir them up to keep pursuing a godly life. His hope is to encourage them, to stir them to godly living. Uh, and brothers and sisters, Peter's point could be simply stated in this way. Christians need regular reminders of their responsibility to pursue holiness. Christians need regular reminders of their need to pursue holiness. We need to be told that day in and day out. Uh, the gospel is not something that you learn one time and then you forget. It's something that must be regularly reminded of the truths of Scripture. And so this purpose of my time this morning is to stir you up, to encourage you by means of reminder, uh, by looking at, if you will, why and how reminders work, why we should give ourselves to these regular reminders, why we should offer these. And so in the passage this morning, we really see that regular reminders concerning the gospel and godly living will profit you in three ways. So, so three ways in which uh, giving yourself to regular reminders will profit you. Peter outlines three of them very clearly. First, by assuring you of the truth. That is, regular reminders assure you of the truth. Number two, regular reminders awaken you from spiritual drowsiness. Regular reminders awaken you from spiritual drowsiness. Thirdly, and finally, regular reminders prepare you for lasting godliness. Regular reminders prepare you for lasting godliness. We're going to consider these three this morning. First, reminders assure you of the truth. Regular reminders will give you a certainty of the truth. Look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities 
though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Uh, Peter seeks to remind them of these qualities. What are these qualities? Well, they, that points back to verses 3 through 11. All of those characteristics we saw. Uh, so, for example, uh, that God has called us by His divine power. That is, God has enabled us to live holy lives. We need to be reminded of that truth. Regularly reminded that God has enabled you by the power of the Spirit of God to live holy lives. We're not talking to rocks this morning, but people who are born again, who are, have the Spirit of God in them, who can live a holy life, who can pursue godliness. So this morning, if you feel kind of crushed by the weight of your sin, discouraged, you feel like, I will never be holy, well, be encouraged. If you are truly saved, God's power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And so we need to be reminded of these things. In verse 5, Peter reminds us of the virtuous life that God has called us to, that, that we need to have virtue and knowledge and self-control and godliness and, and perseverance, brotherly love, brotherly affection and, and love. We need to be reminded regularly that we need to give ourselves to these things, that we need to be reminded of these, about the gospel and godly living. So to be clear, Peter's not just reminding them about the good times they once had. The warm meals they, they perhaps shared or the, the encouraging sermons that were heard. No, he's reminding them of the truth of the gospel and godly living. And notice in verse 12, these reminders should tell us nothing new. Reminders should tell us nothing new. Uh, look here at verse 12, he says, though you know them. Reminder, the word itself applies to things we already know. Isn't that true? I don't remind you of things you don't know. That wouldn't be a reminder, would it? A reminder is something that you already know. Something that you already know. And notice what he says. You know them. It's, it's nothing new. Christians are not like those that Paul encountered in Athens, are they? Remember Paul when he was in the Aragopagus there in Acts 12? Luke describes the Athenians this way. Now the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing new, excuse me, nothing except telling or hearing something new. They spent all their, their time just learning new things, always learning something new. And friends, I think most of the time when I consider our own culture, that's what we are doing. We just want to learn new things. We don't want to be reminded of the things we know to be true. And brothers and sisters, as Christians, we're not, we're not about just learning new things, but being reminded of the old truth that we already know to be true. Notice also he says that these reminders should tell us what is already ours. Not only is it something that we know, he says, but it's something that we are established by. You know them and are established in the truth that you have. Christians are needing daily reminders about what they have and who they are. If you ever consider the New Testament writers will spend their time describing who you are before exhorting you to do anything. You see, it's who we are that then describes how we're going to live. So Paul never starts his gospel or his uh, epistles by saying, you know, thus, you know, you need to, you know, live a holy life and you need to do that. No, he grounds it all in the work of God. That's what Peter does here. 
He doesn't come out of the gate commanding people to do stuff. He doesn't come out of the gate and say, you need to be holy, you need to be godly. No, he, he comes out of the gate saying, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. And who you are defines how you live. This is what Peter prayed for this congregation back in 1 Peter in chapter 5. And after you suffer a little while, Peter writes, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. They were established, Peter says. The foundation had been laid. Now was the time for them to build a godly life. Godly living only can happen on the foundation of the gospel. The NIV translates this this passage this way, firmly established, really stressing what Peter is after. This is something that is firm. This is something that's in concrete. This is not something that can be ripped up easily. The gospel is something. And so he's reminding them of who they are in order to encourage them to godly living. What's so fascinating about the language that's used in this passage is this is what Peter's own commission was given by our Lord. Luke tells us in Luke 22, Jesus record, Luke records these words of Jesus, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Peter's ministry was a ministry of strengthening other believers. And he did that by way of reminder. He would teach truth and then he would remind them that that truth. He would teach truth and remind them of that truth. And so he's taken up this task to remind God's people of the truth they already know and are established in. And so in verse 17 of chapter 3, he writes this, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. You see, stability comes with knowledge. And so, brothers and sisters, I wonder, do you give yourselves to regularly reminding yourself of these things. Reminding yourselves of the truth already known. Or do you come with a, an attitude of arrogance and pride? I already know these things. I don't need to hear another sermon on godly living. I already know the gospel. I don't need to hear a, a sermon on the gospel. Well, I think Peter would disagree with you. It seems that Peter gave himself to teaching the same things over and over and over and over again. Why? Well, because as we've already illustrated, the human mind is feeble and weak. We are forgetful. Many of us walk out the door and forget everything we learn. And we need that daily reminder. Brothers and sisters, do you come humbly? Yes, you've heard it a thousand times. Yes, you've heard of the atoning work of Christ a million and one times. But do you come again on the Lord's Day hoping to hear not something new, but something old, something true, something that you can depend upon? 
How often have you read God's word? Read it a thousand times. You, you've read that passage a thousand times. And in, in a moment, the Spirit of God seems to shine a bright light upon it. Warms your soul by the fire of the word of God. And breathes life into you. And you say, I've never seen that before. I remember not too long ago, a few, few months ago, it was, it, was, it, was, it was almost stunning. I was sitting in bed. My wife and I were sitting there getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden, something hit me. Something I had read days earlier. It just came alive. And so I went and got my Bible and I opened it up. And it's that passage there where, where Solomon's wisdom is put on display. When, when the two prostitutes come in with their baby... And there Solomon displays his wisdom, uh, and, and, and through, through the scene, he d- decides, or, or it's revealed who the true child belongs to, this, this other prostitute, and, and everything. And, and, and the story is really about that, about Solomon's wisdom. And one of the things that I missed, that, that just came alive to me in a moment, was, was the fact that two prostitutes were given the grace of wisdom. The grace. They did not. They were the outcasts in society. They were nobodies. They didn't. Do, they. Who cares about your a prostitute's child and what she does with that child? Who cares? Oh, God did. God, in His infinite wisdom and grace, and gave them grace by giving that woman wisdom, saved her child. Well, that's just a silly example, but but that's how that works, isn't it? We read things over and over. That's how we teach our children, is it not? We don't pull out calculus in kindergarten and teach them about you know, deep equations and, and mapping these things. We don't teach children, but, but don't we teach the basic building blocks? Numbers and how to add those numbers together. And then over the years, we begin to build upon that foundation Brothers and sisters, do not neglect to learn the same truth over and over. It's a building block. Like a snowball, it begins to grow larger and larger and larger as it rolls over and over and over and over again. It assures you of the truth. God's people need to be regularly reminded about the things they already know and trust. Through these regular reminders concerning the gospel and godly living, we receive assurance of the truth. We're assured of the truth. The the winds of doubt do not blow against us. They do, but perhaps they don't prevail. Let's look secondly here. The second prophet. Reminders awaken you from spiritual drowsiness. Reminders... Regular reminders awaken you from spiritual laziness. Look with me in verse 13. I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. One thing we see here very clearly is that a true shepherd, a faithful shepherd, has a responsibility to remind God's people. As a faithful shepherd, Peter knew he had a responsibility to these congregations to remind them of the truth. Now notice what he says. He says, I think it right. This is, what, this is what's right. This is what I should be giving myself to. This is what the right thing or the righteous thing for me to do. 
It was the task, as we have saw earlier, given to him by our Lord. And he would not fail in this task, would he? And what is true of Peter is true of all pastors, of all elders. Pastors have a responsibility to remind God's people of the truth. To stir them up to godly living. An ungodly congregation may be a result more of an irresponsible shepherd than lazy Christians. An ungodly congregation may be because that pastor is not exhorting their members to godly living. Sadly, in our culture, we do lower the bar a little too much, do we not? We set the bar low. Respectability is gone. Being above reproach is gone. Let us set the bar high. Let's not be afraid to pursue godly living in our lives. Let's not shy away from those things. After all, God has given His divine power in order for our pursuit of life and godliness. Paul himself exhorts Timothy to the same practice. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Remind them. In Titus, Paul exhorts Titus, Remind them to be submissive. You see, in the New Testament, it is the pastor's responsibility to regularly remind God's people of the truth. And so, friends, I just point this simple truth out because as a congregation, as a congregational ruled church, that means you are the one who affirms who the pastors are. You're the one who votes on who is a pastor and who's not a pastor. And let me exhort you in this way. Never, ever exhort a pastor. Never appoint an elder who is not going to regularly remind you of the things you know and the things that are yours. If all he's coming in is with new teachings and new ways and innovative this and innovative that, run! Never affirm that kind of silly behavior. Because we see that the shepherds in the New Testament were ones who reminded them of the truth they already knew. Paul himself says it this way in Galatians. If I come again to you and I preach to you another gospel than the one you first received, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me if I change the gospel. Friends, there are churches up and down our street that have forsaken the gospel of Jesus Christ because their pastor forsook it first. And then they forsook it. Brothers and sisters, you have a responsibility. God has given you the keys to ensure that the elders regularly teach not new things, but the truth in Scripture. We see here that reminders serve to wake us up. They awaken us from spiritual laziness or or drowsiness. Notice what he says here. He says, "I, I, I hope to remind you to stir you up. The word there literally means to arouse you, to wake you up. The truth is like smelling salt. It wakens you from drowsiness, from sleep. I hope to stir you up, Peter says. It's like ice water being thrown onto it. It awakens you, it it reorients you, it recalibrates you. Brother, sister, are you spiritually sleepy today? Have you become lazy 
in your pursuit of godliness and Christ-likeness. Reminders help to reorient us to the truth. They cause us to think and to recall what we already know is true. When we're tired, we know this is true, don't we? One of the most painful experiences is trying to drive while you're sleepy, isn't it? Trying to wake yourself up. You got the window down. You're you're drinking, you know, all kinds of who knows what is in it. You're drinking it and you're trying to stay awake and, and alert. And here's the problem, right? When you're sleepy, you're not alert, are you? That's why it's so dangerous to drive while you're while you're tired and sleepy because you know something could run out in front of you, something could happen, and, and your reflexes are slowed down. Well, brothers and sisters, what Peter is saying here is that that when you're not regularly reminded, you become spiritually sleepy. You kind of become, you know, lax and lazy, and you need to be awakened up to the truth. Friends, this is why we give ourselves to the regular preaching of God's word. And when we went through Mark's gospel uh, for 63 weeks, the point of the sermon every week was the same. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this is what it means to follow him. Every week, for 63 weeks. Why? Because I wanted to bore you to death? Because I wanted you to be clear about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Because if you're messed up on either one of those, you're messed up entirely and eternally. Friends, this is why we must give ourselves the regular preaching of God's word on the Lord's day. This is why... We offer hope to you every Lord's Day. Not with something new, but with something old. Something tried and something true. Something that is is sure, as we'll sing about in a a moment, a, a firm foundation. Brothers and sisters, what I hope to do regularly through the preaching of God's Word is to expose you to the truth of God's Word and to awaken you from slumber. I I have eyes. I know I can see you're spiritually sleepy. I am spiritually sleepy. And so every day I return to the Word of God. Every day you return to the Word of God to awaken your soul again. Remind yourself the gospel of grace. Friends, show me a person who does not attend the regular preaching of God's Word and I will show you a very sleepy Christian. Someone who does not give themselves. So it should be our practice as God's people to give ourselves, to submit ourselves to regular reminders through the teaching of God's Word. They profit you because they awaken you from your spiritual lethargy and laziness. Well, third and finally, in verses 14 and 15, we see the third prophet, reminders prepare you for for lasting godliness. Uh, reminders prepare you for lasting godliness. Look at what he writes here in verses 14. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear to me. Peter shepherded in light of eternity. And it's true that all true shepherds lead God's people in light of eternity. Peter knew his time was short. His days were coming to an end. Think about it for a moment. If you know the story, a number of years earlier in Peter's life, the Lord Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, 
took Peter aside on a Galilean seashore. After having breakfast, he pulled him aside and had a few words. And we know those words. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, yes, I love you. you know, three times he asked him. But it's at the end of that that the Lord reveals to Peter how he will die. That he will die on a day very soon in an unimaginable and, and very horrific way. Clearly the Lord's words had transformed the way Peter lived. He lived with an expectation not of, of tomorrow, but of that day. But he wasn't afraid. Think about it for a moment. He knew that he was going to die at any moment. But listen to the way he talks. He didn't say, I'm afraid that, oh my gosh, I'm going I'm to be crucified in a, in a matter of days. I could die and be cut up. I would... Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. We don't know if that's true or not. That's what tradition, church tradition tells us. But the way he talks is not like a man on death row, is it? He doesn't talk like a man who, who is going to lose everything when he dies. He doesn't talk like a man who's invested in this world, does he? Uh, I know that the putting off on my body will be soon. As the Lord made clear to me. One day my body's going to be put off, but that's okay. Because I'm I am sowing seed, not for today, but for that day. You see, he lived in light of eternity. He he did ministry not in light of, you know, temporary, momentary, immediate successes, like growing churches and having lots of people hang around, like anybody can draw crowds together. No, he, he lived and shepherded in light of eternity. He measured every task, every responsibility, every person with an eternal scale. He, he knew that what he was doing mattered. Mattered for today, yes. It's important what we're doing today. It matters for today. But what is so much more important is not tomorrow, but forever. And therefore, he shepherded these congregations by casting his responsibilities in light of eternity. Brothers and sisters, again, just have to exhort you in this way. Only find shepherds, only follow shepherds who cast their responsibilities before eternity. Who shepherd in light of one day standing before a holy and just God and having to give a responsibility to Him or answer to Him. Pastors lead God's people not to make it merely through today, but to help you get to that day. The day of the Lord's return. And so Peter says here in verse 14, I will make excuse me, in verse 15, and I will make every effort. Make every effort, he says. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be laborious. It's going to be painful. But I will work hard to prepare you for the future. Brothers and sisters, leading God's people is not easy. It is hard work. It requires time and energy and effort. Why? Because we are all Slow to learn and easily forgetful. 
And so, brothers and sisters, do you see, I hope, the seriousness, the seriousness of the kind of shepherd you want to appoint in and among you? You want someone who's going to work hard for you, that's going to make sacrifices for you. Not the wrong kind of sacrifices, like his family, that's, that's the wrong sacrifice, but making the right sacrifices in order to shepherd you to eternity. And we see here that when we do this, when we live in light of, of eternity, we see the goal in mind in verse 15, do we not? Reminders have a goal. Let's be honest, I'm not... I'm not, nor is Peter exhorting you to be taught in such a way where we can line everyone up and do a little exam at the end of our lives and see how many questions we get right. And based on that, you know, we, I'm successful or not. No, no, success is not based on how much you can remember. I'm not gauging my success on, you know, your ability to recall everything. No, the goal here is is reminding with the goal of remembrance. Reminding you in such a way, planting seeds in you that will sprout in the future. Peter concludes here in verse 15, and he writes, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter was pastoring in light of eternity, wasn't he? Peter was going to be gone. What, what, what was to happen then? What's to happen next? You see, pastors only have a, a short window and then they're gone. Maybe through providence or, or, or through God taking them. And so we must be led with that kind of aim in, in mind. That you'll remember the truth. And so that's what I do every Lord's Day. And why I re repeat the gospel and remind you of the gospel. Because I don't know what's going to happen after I'm gone. My hope is that gospel ministry, if the Lord tarries, will continue to be faithful so that we don't see what happens to these congregations around us. He wants to remind them. To remind them. The goal of reminders is that we actually remember, aren't they? The reason why we remind ourselves of something is so that we actually like remember on our own and we get like, yes, I finally remember that. That is the moment of need. When we're driven perhaps to spiritual laziness, when we're not progressing well in our sanctification, when we're overcome with doubt and discouragement, these reminders will come back to us. We'll be reminded of the truth taught. We're reminded that the goal, they're like little hidden coins that one discovers. Perhaps you've done that before. You've maybe stored money away and you forgot where it was. And then one day, maybe it was in a book and you open it like, wow, I found some money. I'm rich. I have money. Right? It was your money all along, silly. You just forgot where you put it. Well, friend, reminders are like that. They're, they're little coins we pull out and, and they remind us, oh, yes, I'm rich. I'm not poor. I'm rich. I'm a child of God. I've been given these promises that His divine power has granted to me everything for life and godliness. Oh, there you are, sweet reminder. This is what got Christian on his way in Pilgrim's Progress. It was these reminders as, as remembrance came to him and reminded him of the sweet gospel truth. We need them to help us along our way towards godliness. And so, brothers and sisters, may we give ourselves to these things. 
May we give ourselves with this goal in mind. And this is why memorization is such a helpful tool. And I want to get into some sort of practical application here. And I know some of you are like, ah, my, I'm not a good, I can't remember things. I, I'm not good at memorization. And that's okay. It's okay if you're particularly not very good at memorization. But brothers and sisters, sometimes the practice alone, the practice alone will help you remember. There are many things in many ways you can memorize without just repeating the information over and over again. Uh, something you can look at, you can read something, you can hear something, and you remember it. However, most of our needs is just to turn things over and over. I mean, think about it for this morning. If you think, like, hey, I'm not good at remembering. I don't have a good memory. And maybe you don't. Maybe because of God's providence, because of your health, because of something that's happened in your life, you know, you're, you have, you know, a weakness in that. That's okay. But friend, may I offer you one encouragement? It seems that all of us today, I hope without, maybe without the help of others, remembered how to put their clothes on. You knew how to put your clothes on today. I mean, think about it for a moment the next time you tie your shoes. Didn't you learn that all the way back in kindergarten? And yet you remember it today? Why? Because you do it every day. Over and over again, you do it. You've done it a thousand times. And brothers and sisters, that's what we want to do with God's word. Over and over and over again. Turning the Bible, turning the truths over and over. Let me consider for a moment why we do the same things every Lord's Day. Nothing different. It's the same thing. You can come in here and you can expect to sing a song of preparation and hear a few announcements and then a scriptural call to worship, and then some other scripture reading or, or some other public reading, and then we'll sing some hymns, and then we'll, we'll pray, and they're the same prayers every week, a prayer of praise and a prayer of confession, and then a prayer of petition, a prayer of thanks. You'll hear a sermon, and then we'll sing, and then you'll have a benediction. And you do that week in and week out, and you hear the brothers pray, and here's what happens. You begin to pray like them. You begin to use the words they use. You begin to use the words that you're hearing in the, in the public readings. You begin to talk the way they talk. And you begin to even think about the gospel the way the hymn writers are thinking about it. You see, these are gifts that God has given us as a congregation to help us every Lord's Day. To remind us of the truth we already know. He's given us sermons. He's given us the Lord's Supper, has he not? A, a time of remembrance, isn't it? Reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. This is why we give ourselves to Bible studies and to hymns and to prayers. Friends, the, one of the best ways I've found not only to learn biblical truth, but to remember it, is by teaching it. By telling someone else about it. So the next time you're learning something new about God, in his word, as you're reading through. And, and there, you're like me. You've got the, the Solomon experience. And, and all of a sudden, it hits you. Don't keep that gym to yourself. Tell someone. Tell your spouse. Tell your neighbor. Tell your coworker. They may not want to hear about your Bible reading, but tell them anyways. Just the act alone. Tell your grandchildren. Tell somebody. Teaching others helps you remember. It drills it into your mind and into your soul. I guarantee you, 
If you've ever tried, if you've, at your secular job, or whether, if you've ever taught someone else, it, it, it does. It just has this effect upon you. You remember what you teach. So consider that the next time. Take those jewels. Tell your friend, your neighbor. Tell them. Or as we heard earlier in the psalmist, this is, this is what Psalm 71 was all about and why, why I read it earlier. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. It's like, I've, I've known this stuff since I was a little baby. And I've been, I've been declaring your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs. Is old age and gray hair today? Oh God, do not forsake me until, that is, oh God, don't take me, don't take me, don't kill me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation. Your power to all those to come. See, the psalmist was living his life in light of tomorrow, in light of eternity. He lived today in light of that day. His mind was directed towards those around him, that other generation. And brothers and sisters, you have that same responsibility today. Don't stop telling others they may ignore you, they may not listen to you, but you keep telling those wondrous deeds. We're not promised here that they're going to respond. We're not told that they're going to listen, but we're going to give ourselves to that. Brothers and sisters, may I encourage you to set aside time in your life to memorize God's Word. Commit yourself to that. Brothers and sisters, just give ourselves to remembering truth. As we know well from Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Hide God's word that the Spirit of God may brought out at a right time. Without the regular reminders of the gospel and encouragement in godly living, brothers, just we are unprepared, unprepared for enduring godliness. You will fall away. You will not be stable if you do not give yourselves to regular reminders. You will profit. You will profit spiritually when you come every Lord's Day, every opportunity you have on Wednesday night or throughout the week saying, I want to remember the truth. Teach me what I already know. Remind me. And when you give yourselves the tools God has allowed you to have to remember. Friends, final words of are often of really most important, aren't they? There seems to be a fascination with final words. Whether it be a great leader or maybe even a family member, final words carry with them a certain weight, don't they? Final words about a lasting testament. That's what they are, aren't they? they, they like on a tombstone... It's what the life was lived by. It's what one's life was to be known by. Samuel Rutherford, on his final day, as he laid there, drawing his last breath, he had around him many of the pastors and ministers that he had raised up. He said this to them, Dear brethren, do all for him. Pray for Christ, preach for Christ, do all for Christ. Beware of men pleasing. The chief shepherd will shortly appear. John Newton, 
the famous hymn writer, Amazing Grace, when he drew his final breath, said these words, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. And so the Apostle Peter would grow in the great greatness and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we gather to be reminded of these sweet truths again. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Father, we pray this morning that our hearts would be caught, convicted, that our sin be exposed. That we would know that if we would just turn from our sins and trust in Christ, that we too can be saved. That he died the death we deserved. But by faith, we have new life. Father, I pray that you would grant us this grace. Help our minds to remember this truth this week. Recall it throughout the week that we might live towards godliness. It is in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.